0: Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established, and by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. We talked about this last week. The title of last week's talk was The House That Wisdom Builds. The House That Wisdom Builds. And we're going to do part two today, and we'll see how far we go on that, but Last week we we identified three words in this passage: which was wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. What's fascinating about these three words—they actually sound the same, but they're very, very different. They have their own unique nuances and meanings and definitions. And so, to quickly review what we talked about last week: knowledge is information; it's the material; it's it's the data, if you will, in front of you. Understanding is the ability to understand the why behind the information and the material. Why this is beautiful or why this isn't beautiful. Why this is smart and why this is not smart why this is helpful and why it's not helpful. It's actually understanding not just the flat aspects of information. It's understanding the why behind the information. Now, what is information for us? It's the experiences you have, the things that you learn, the things that you gain, and things that you live as a human in the human experience. That's just information, but understanding get to the core of the why behind it. When you enter into that dimension, then the next dimension is called wisdom. Wisdom is the ability, wisdom is the how. How to take the information, you know why it's there, and then you know how to use it to build. And one thing I want to interject last week and obviously right now is you should have very high expectations of what God wants to do in your life. And I have no question, some of you, that is really hard to grasp. Your mind says yes, but your heart's like it's not even possible. Something that I want to continue to stir up in this group right here is to continue to raise our expectancy for what God wants to do in our lives, through our lives, and the people around us. And I understand you've had so many experiences that tell you the opposite, But I choose to let Scripture define my expectancy, not my own experiences to define my expectancy. And oftentimes what we do, some of us are having a hard time with understanding what the Bible is saying because we have lowered God to our experiences. And Scripture actually allows us an opportunity to step into the expectancy level of what God wants to do in our life. So this passage, I want to tell you, God wants to build your house you might ask, what's my house? It's you. If you look at the essence of what home and house and temple mean throughout Scripture, you're going to find physical dwellings. You're going to find this is someone's physical house. But the common denominator throughout the entirety of Scripture, it's you. It's where God lives. So this idea that God wants to build you into your house, wisdom is what builds that. And when you put these three words, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, when you learn how to put those together, you'll be able to build a house that stands the test of time and will be able to stand all human experience. Amen. Okay. So today we're going to go a little bit deeper into this passage that we read last week. We're going to talk more about the house that wisdom builds. How many, how many want wisdom to build your house? You want wisdom to build your life. You don't want to be shaped by anything but the wisdom of God. And so we're going to go a little bit deeper. And and each week we come together, it really is an invitation for you to go deeper in every area of your life. And I want to challenge you. Don't come in here and and just listen and walk out. Come here and engage and write stuff down and take these things that you learned or something that maybe bothered you or you absolutely love. Talk to your friends and family throughout the week about it. This isn't just something to hear on Sunday and check off the list of, well, I went to church and I I did my job for the week. No, each week is an invitation to go deeper. And our dream is that each of our homes, us, are built with wisdom to stand the test of time and to be able to withstand all the elements of the human experience. You know, one thing I have learned as a human, uh, as a leader, and as a pastor after I have no idea how many conversations I've had with people in the course of my life, if not hundreds of thousands of interactions, potentially millions of interactions. And the one thing that is evident in the human experience is the chasm between what your soul longs for, what you desire, and what your life actually looks like right now. It's amazing, this chasm. It's, for some of you, it's the bane of your existence. you like, I wish I didn't have this longing for something that feels so not real, like it can't happen. Some of you are like, I just wish I never felt. And so you just numb yourself. You just kind of ignore it. But at the end of the day, when you remove the numbing efforts, you will always find something in you longs for something else. So this is something that we all have common ground We all have different life experiences, but this is a common ground that we can stand on. And then for others of you, this chasm between what your soul longs for and what your life actually looks like, it's actually what drives you. It's what motivates you every day of your life. It's the thing that when you get up and you say, I want to close this gap even more. I want to close this chasm where it's not an abyss, but I can see the other side. And you spend your days, and I pray that for each and every one of us, that's who you are. Instead of letting it discourage you and bring hopelessness, it actually puts a fire in you to be determined to close the gaps. And I believe wisdom and what we're studying last week and today are actually our keys and insight to build a house that you long for, to see the thing take place that you know God has promised you to actually take place. Years ago, I was, this was probably, I was in my 20s, late 20s, and I was sitting down with a young man. He was attending our church. He had actually just moved and. And I knew this, this young man for many years, but he happened to move to the city I was in. And, and this man, young man, he, he had a history, a repetitive history of making really destructive decisions. Not the kind of decisions like, I made the wrong turn. No, he just blew up his life. Absolutely destroyed his life. Had a bunch of legal issues from poor choices. And he had this pattern of making really destructive decisions. And so when I, he's sitting in my office this one particular day, and, and, and for the last year, he had moved to the city I was in, and he got a new job, new friend group, new church, new city, new everything, because he's like, I need to hit the reset button. So he hit the reset button, and now he's sitting in my office after he'd been in our new city, new church, new everything for about a year, and he's weeping. He's broken. He is absolutely defeated at the core. Because he had just repeated all these destructive decisions all over again. And it was heartbreaking, and it was heartbreaking to watch. And it's funny how sometimes if I just change the scenery, it won't happen again. No, guess what? You always follow you. Like wherever you go, that's where you will be. And so this young man sitting in my office, and we talked for at length, and you know he He just defeated, deflated everything you can imagine. And I looked at him and I said, what do you want? Like, what do you really, really want at the core of who you are? And in that moment, he looked at me and he said, I want a family like yours. I want a wife and kids and they love each other. That's what I long for. Like, I want to get there someday. And at that time in his life, that was the pinnacle of of what his soul longed for. And yet, he tried to get there on his own. He tried to make it happen. And with the lack of understanding, the lack of knowledge, and the lack of wisdom, he wasn't able to build that. But there's something I want you to grasp out of this. I had to ask him, what do you actually want? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. For those of you who have your paper Bibles, I'm impressed. those of you who have the apps or tablets, I got you. Mark chapter 10 chapter, uh, verse 46. We're going to read this quick story together. It's a very well-known story when you study miracles in Scripture. This is one of those special ones. Mark 10, verse 46. Let's read together. Then they came to Jericho. And Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the road begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. I like people like this, where when everyone telling you, shut up, they just get louder. Some of you definitely have that down. Your kids are really good at this. And I love that. I love that tenacity, like, you can't suppress me. You can't stop me. And I love that. So he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and called him. So they said to the blind man, cheer up. The same people that were suppressing him like, hey, it's your lucky day. (laughs) Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. Make a note of that moment. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, we've read this story. Many of you have read it so many times. Some of you, this might be the first time, or maybe it's been a while. And there's a couple, there's so much going on here. I would, you know, be fun to take the whole day to talk about this, but there's a couple things I want you to grab. He threw his cloak aside. From my understanding, scholars say that if you are a blind person, you identify by a certain piece of clothing. It's how they knew. So he stood up, And he took his identity and threw it to the side. But what's even more mind-blowing to me, as he comes to Jesus, Jesus has the audacity to ask him, what do you want? I, I don't know if that hits you, but it hits me funny. I'm like, isn't it obvious what the guy wants? Like, any other physical issue, you can't really tell unless you got a, you're, you're lame or you're disabled or you have crutches or you're in a wheelchair. But blindness is clear. When someone's blind, it's so obvious. I love that Jesus had the audacity to say, "Well, what do you, what can I do for you?" And I'm standing going, "It's obvious, but there's something in this that I need you to get a hold of for you. You need to be able to articulate what it is you want." There's too many people that are saying, God knows what I want. You're right. But do you know what you want? Can you actually articulate what it is you dream about? Can you actually put it down and say, this is what my soul longs for? And some of us have the excuse of, well, if God really wants me to have it, then he'll let me have it. Those are all just old Christian excuses that have gotten you nowhere. There is a personal responsibility that you must take for what your soul longs for. And I love that Jesus had the audacity to ask this blind guy, what can I do for you? And the blind guy knew clearly what it was. I want to see. So, today, take out I want to see and put your own line in there. Whatever it may be, I don't, I don't care what it is, other than you just have it clearly articulated. Some of you are like, I just want to be alive. I just want to be happy. I want to experience God. I want, just fill in the blank, but articulate it. Because sometimes God needs you to be able to say what you dream about. So the blind man, Bartimaeus, he said, I want to see. And Jesus says, verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So the first thing I want you to get when it comes to building, wisdom building your house, know what you want to build. And this particular young man, when he said, I want that, I said, okay, now let's go after that. And to be honest with you, he got it. And then he destroyed it all over again. So he's got kids in other states, and I'm, I, I still know him. And guess what? He is still charging after life. And it's a, it's a testimony that continues to happen, and I'm excited to, to hear what happens in the future. But identify what it is that you want. I was in my 30s, and Kenneth and I, we for some reason have a fascination with standing sideways Type recreation. So snowboarding, wakeboarding, all, all, all those wake surfing. And we just, Candace skis. She, Candace is incredibly athletic. I just prefer standing sideways. I like hitting a ball. I like standing sideways, hitting a ball. Uh, I just like standing sideways. I should preach standing sideways now. I mean, I should do. Anyways. And wakeboarding, I love wakeboarding, and and it was a passion of mine. And so, which one, we we had a family houseboat on the lake back in California, and I was trying to do this particular move, and no one told me you shouldn't do that move when you're that age, but I didn't care. Like, I can do it. So long story short, I tried this move, it went horribly wrong, completely glitched, it didn't happen. And when I hit the water, and when I came out of the water, I felt like I was half dead and half alive. I was in so much pain. I messed up my neck so bad, and I literally thought, I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, it was just one incredible pain. And so, very long story short, I ended up at a chiropractor, and the chiropractor confirmed, "Oh yeah, you're really messed up. Like you really messed up your neck." And I'm like, "It's. I know. I can feel it." And he said, "You. I need you for 12 months. You have to make a commitment for 12 months." For the first three to four months, I want you coming in five days a week. And I'm thinking, how much is this gonna cost? But I was okay with whatever it cost, because I'm in so much pain. I'm like, I don't care, I'll sell a kidney if that's what it takes to get this to stop. That's how much pain I was in, not exaggerating. He said, I need to see you every five times a week for the first three or four months, then after that, it'll be, I think, for a certain amount of time a week. I mean, it was intense. So I had to build it into my schedule. And then he told me something. He said, Eric, here's the challenge though. In a couple of months, you're not going to be in pain anymore. You're going you're to start feeling back to somewhat normal. You have to tell yourself you're not healthy. You're out of pain, but it doesn't mean you're back to health. I had to rebuild the entire structure of that part of your body to get it back to a place where it's healthy, not just to get out of pain. And in that moment, I'm in so much pain, I'm like, I will be here whenever you tell me to be here. And it wasn't cheap. And I paid the bill, paid for the whole year up front. I was like, I don't care. No joke, two months in, I'm like, man, I'm feeling great. Guess you didn't show up to their appointments anymore. Yeah, this guy like, ah. Uh. And I would get these emails and phone calls, you missed your appointment. I'm like, shut up. I know. I you're making me feel guilty now. So I took a 12-month plan and I turned it to almost a two-year plan. You see, the funny thing about life is when you're in pain, your motivation's high. You're like, man, I'll do it. Man, wisdom, Yes. But we don't often realize that just because you don't experience pain anymore, it doesn't mean you're actually in a healthy spot. And I wonder how much of our lives we're just cycling over and over because we're not doing the work to get healthy. We're only doing the work to get out of pain. So your motivation in life should not be just to not experience pain, it's to be able to say, I want to build a house that withstands all the elements of the human experience. That's your motivation. When you do that, then you're willing to keep going. So you have to restructure some of your patterns and habits that you have have to be demolished in order to build a house that wisdom will build. You have to be able to go, these patterns and habits, I've got to end them. I've got to blow them up and start all over. When I went through my emotional mental breakdown in 2018, God spoke to me three times And one of them was this, Eric, you need a new operating system. The one you have got you to this point. But where I'm taking you, you need a whole new operating system. And then I went into what I would call my own dark night of the soul. Went through an entire season, and I would would say for the next few years for sure, I felt like God was showing me a new operating system, how I'm going to function, how I'm going to process, and how I'm going to do life. And I recognize, up until that point, I was doing everything just to stay and avoid pain, but I knew I had to move into a new space, a new operating system, new patterns, and new habits that would take me to a place of being healthy. So you have to be willing to restructure your entire life to see this house built that you long to see built. There's a great quote from Dwight from The Office. He said, before I do anything, I ask myself, would an idiot do that? That pretty much summed up the book of Proverbs. That is Proverbs right there. Proverbs is so pragmatic, so clear in black and white, Don't be an idiot, and this is how you be an idiot. And if you don't want to be a fool, then do this. So, some of you, maybe Proverbs is your key. Actually, let me rephrase that. All of us needed Proverbs to be this thing we hold. And as you read that book, there's so many words like, heed my words. And some of us are so stubborn and hard-headed, we have to have our own experiences to learn the word that if we just took those words seriously, we wouldn't have to repeat those mistakes over and over and over again. So we have to ask ourselves, why is it so hard for us to posture ourselves to not be an idiot, as Dwight would say? Uh, Why is it so challenging for us to, to posture ourselves in a way where we don't become a fool? It's one word, pride. It all comes down to that word, pride. Pride and self-preservation. The enemy of your house that you long to build is pride. Just think about that. On the other side of pride is what you long for. But yeah, pride is the very thing that will keep you from the very thing you actually long for. This is the war of the human soul. This is the war of the human mind. It's this longing for something but pride. It can be the very thing that will keep you from actually building and seeing the thing that God actually designed for you. It's never been a question if God had promises and dreams for you. I don't care what your mind is telling you. I don't care what kind of upbringing you had. It's just not the truth. Pride has been lying to you. Pride sounds like this. You can do it all by yourself. Pride sounds like this. If you tell them the truth, what will they think of you? Pride sounds like this. Everyone thinks you're really strong and you can do it. But once they find out this part of you, they will think you're weak. You see, pride sounds like a whole bunch of things to each of us. So being able to Address the enemy of your future is actually pride. Now I'm going to ask everyone to do something right now. Get a piece of paper, your phone. You can turn them back on now because Stephen told us to turn them back off, which is awesome. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I, and I want you to write something down because you have homework this week. When you are about to take a risk or move forward, Or do something different. Or maybe act on an idea. What's the dominant first thought you have? What's that first thought you have, the dominant one? Once you get past the excitement, man, I'm going to take some risk. I'm going to do this new thing. But once you get past the hype and the excitement, what are the first dominant thoughts that you have? For some of us, is what would so-and-so think? And if if, there is, if, you, if that's yours, put that person's name down. Your first thought is, "I wonder what so and so will think." For some of you, it might be, "I don't have maybe a resource or an ability." Fill in that blank, whatever that may be. For others of you, it might not be. It might be, "I am not." It might be an identity, or I don't have the skill, or the virtue, or the character. But what's that dominant thought? What's that thing that keeps you from not actually moving forward and acting on an idea? For some of you, it's like, I don't have enough money. So just take a moment. I want you to write it down. If it's a few things, I'm sure the more the merrier, but at least have one thing. What's the reason why you don't step into your future? Articulate it. Put some language on it. Because today I want to help close the gap more between the chasm of what our soul longs for and what our life actually is. And scriptures promise us, Jesus paid for it, for us to step into what wisdom can build. So assuming that you've all written something down, for some of you it's really vulnerable because you realize no one knows this. I've not told my spouse I've not told a friend. I've told nobody. This is like the thing that just keeps me stuck right here. But yet, I'm so frustrated. I'm so pent up. Everything's compounded. I want to go into the future God's created for me. This is your homework assignment this week. This week, I want you to take this conversation to another level. I want you to go spend some time with God. And I want you to ask God, what do you think about this? And for some of you, it's almost embarrassing. You wrote it down like this shouldn't be it, but let's just be honest. Sometimes the most embarrassing thing is the very thing that keeps us stuck. Then the next part of the homework assignment is this, is that you tell a few close people in your life this week, this is the reason why I don't move forward in life. What that will do That is a shot at your pride. That is a direct frontal attack on your pride. And I no longer want pride to determine my future. I want to be accountable. I want to be vulnerable. And I want to surround myself with people that will call me higher. So that's your homework assignment this week. I want you to create accountability. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit into this. Ask him what he thinks about this. What does he think about the reason that you have put down of why you don't take risk, act on an idea, or step into the future that you know is right there in front of you? Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com. And you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.